Where are my wipes? I want to wipe off the mic. Uh, are Jason and Elizabeth still here? No, they must have left. All right, that's all right. I've got to move. The chairs are a little bit further forward tonight than I'm used to. So, um, <clears throat> well, first of all, greetings. Exeter Malcomno, which means God is good. Amen. Exeter Yabarkish, Yabarkachu, excuse me, that means God bless all of you. Exeter Yabark is male. Exeter Yabarkish is female, right? Um, just some Amaharic words that I've had to learn to use in order to be effective over there. Um, but I wanted to share with you a briefly about Ethiopia, but I really have a message on my heart that, that was born out of a moment, a powerful moment while I was there. Um, and I want to I share that with you because there's a, there's a prophetic invitation involved in it, and, um, and it's your night. Say, it's my night. Tonight is the night. Amen. And so, um, Pastor Eddie Evans sends his greetings. Pastor Eddie, I met him, oh my word, how many years ago was it that we went down to hear Michael Fletcher? Yeah, it was way, it was, yeah, like 12 years ago, I met him at a, we were at the pastor's table, Eddie and I, and we were seated at the very far end, at the little kid's side of the pastor's table. <laughs> But Eddie and I connected while Pastor Doug and the other guys talked. And, um, and there was just a real heart connection. And, and many of you have heard the story about how when he came here a number of years ago, um, he, was, he had ministered. And the next day I saw an article in the paper about a ministry that builds churches in foreign countries. And I made a phone call on his behalf. And the next thing we know, we're in a board meeting with the owner, the founder, and the chairman of the board, or chairwoman of the board, so on and so forth. The next thing we know, Dr. Bazalem Workna, who's an apostle in Ethiopia, whose father is the Supreme Court, Chief Supreme Court Justice in Ethiopia, is partnering with this organization that now I happen to be a board member of. And I sit on the board of ICM. ICM builds churches in indigenous country or in other countries working with indigenous leaders and movements. Um, and they are currently building five churches through the partnership that Eddie and I forged by the grace of God. And, um, and their goal is to build 100 churches across Ethiopia. And so this is an ongoing story. And so Eddie's been asking me to come back for four years, and the Lord just would not allow it. And partly... I now understand, hindsight being 2020, was that I was in process, and, it's, and I've been in a season of transformation. And how many of you, I hope that you all would agree. I mean, I'm, I'm not the who I was four years ago or even two years ago. God's just been doing an amazing work. So Eddie asked me to come and to invest, and, and to make a long story short, he pulled me aside at the end of, or towards the end of my time, and he was like, Brother, you have come in the office of prophet." I have an apostolic grace, and I have been laying foundations, but you have come in the office of prophet, and whatever you have touched in the foundations, the breath of God has come and breathed life into the foundations. And, you know, that is just, I mean, I, I had to suck up my own words because I had, you know, I've talked about what is false humility and what is true humility, and true humility is really receiving everything that Jesus has done for us, even like post resurrection, glory, we're in the Trinity, we're in this place of glory, he's given us the glory, the proof, 
the testimony, the proof, the proof, the proof is in John 17. Read it. The glory that I had before, you, before I was, when I was with you before I came here. Restore it back to me so that I can now give it to them. That's what he prayed. So I'm sitting here and I'm like, no, no, I didn't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a prophet. I'm, I'm, not, I'm prophetic, yes, but I'm not walking in the office of prophet. I mean, and the man just straight up rebukes me with my own words, you know. And, um, and I just said, you know what, I'll suck it up. You're absolutely right. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you did. So, I mean, the worship team's going to laugh because he asked me to minister to the worship team. And I'm sitting here going, I'm not a worship leader. And then he says, I want you to teach on how to do songwriting. I'm like, I'm not a songwriter, but yes, I am. So at, for, as an example, I met with the worship team, and I started to go down the road of explaining to them how do prophetic cultures, that's us, how do we access by the Spirit new songs that become songs that are sung across the, the world. Now, I'm speaking in, in anticipation for Harvest, but let's use Bethel as an example, okay? And what they, what, there is a prophetic culture there, and out of that place, they are stepping into a place of prophetic worship, releasing a song of the Lord. They're singing a new song in the Lord, whether in tongues, whether in English, um, the Lord will give, like Stephanie Grizel, Grizel Gritzenheimer, whatever her name is, Gretzner. Stephanie, y'all know who I'm talking about. Stephanie, one of my favorites. You know, I don't want to idolize Bethel worship, but I just, I really appreciate what they do. And sh there's such an anointing and power, and she has gotten up, you know. Have you ever seen the video where she goes, she starts singing this song? You know, you're the Lord of the dance, you're the dancing Lord. Oh, yeah, come on. You know, I mean, it just, and then the pastor gets up and he releases this word about God being the Lord of the dance, and he wants to do the first dance or the first waltz. He wants to do the, the, the quick step and the two step. He wants to do this. He wants to do that. He wants to dance with you. That's not about getting to the destination, it's about the dance and the dance he wants to take you with to get you there. And then they go back into that song, and it just, it just, I mean, even over the video, the anointing on it is so flippin' strong. Come on. And so I'm trying to explain this to them, and then Eddie pipes in, and he goes, there is no church in Ethiopia that understands or practices the song of the Lord in prophetic worship. And I went, say what? Tilt? Are you kidding me? What? And what is so natural for us is not necessarily ubiquitous or the same everywhere else. And um, and so what ended up happening is is I just I picked up their guitar, and I took you know more love, more power, more of you in my life. I'm off key, but that's okay. And. Is hey, it's not about whether you think you can or not. It's about who he is. Come on. And so I, I pick up the guitar. It's a simple song, which is one of the principles. You pick up a song that if you didn't have the words on the screen, everybody would still know, and they would have confidence in the song. That's That was step number one. Step number two is 
You sing the song, and then you continue the chord regression, but you leave the words behind, and you start singing from your heart to God. And then, out of that, there'll be times where God will actually give you a verse, give you a chorus, and you need to have your phone ready, which I had an example of, and you push record, and you record that thing during or just after so you don't forget the melody. And then you take it back to your worship team. You take it back to your team and you submit it and you pray over it and you ask God for more. And before it was all said and done, they were, I mean, they picked up the guitar. They started singing in, in their native language in Amaharic and a song that they knew that I knew nothing about. And, and, and I was encouraging, okay, stop singing the words that you know. Now start singing from your heart. Sing words of your love to God from your heart. And they, just, and they started doing it. And it was just, it was a breakthrough moment. It's, I mean, for us, we think, well, that's just common sense. But it was a breakthrough moment for them, something that Eddie had been talking about and talking about for years. And for the first time, it got, it got established and touched in their midst. Amen? Come on. <clears throat> I talked with the leaders, and... And really stepped into a prophetic moment, having walked through some of the things that we've walked through as a church, um, good, bad, and otherwise. Um, I, you know, I noticed a very young leader, um, and I won't mention his name because I don't want it to be public. But I, I just, I could see in the spirit that he was hiding things in his heart. Um, I don't, I didn't see it being necessarily malicious, but I saw ulterior motive because he was, he was holding something in his heart that I believe was a, really a vision from God. But he was, he was young, and he was looking for a way to grab for what God had given him, what God, what God was speaking to him in his heart. God hadn't given it yet, but he had spoken it to him. And, um, and I could tell, because I, I've been there, Pastor Doug had to correct me on this, Papa Doug. <laughs> um, you don't have to fight for what God gives you. And, um, and so I was able to speak into his life and pull him aside and just say, look, I'm a seer, and this is what I see. And I'm not accusing you. I'm coming alongside you to declare to you I see the mantle of leadership on your life. But here is where the enemy is going to, going to come against you. He will come against you just like he did Jesus. Jesus is the greatest leader that ever lived. And if, it, if it's true for Jesus, then it's going to be true for you and I. And I said Jesus was led into the desert for 40 days by the Holy Spirit. And I said in the purpose of him walking in the desert for 40 days was for him to come into his sonship and when his sonship came, the enemy came and tested his sonship, the validity of his sonship, because he offered him a false thing that was a version of the thing that God had promised. And I said, and Jesus, not because he was just a son, he loved his father, he knew his father, and he knew the ways of his father. And because he was a true son who knew the ways of his father, he knew that this was the false thing. It was the counterfeit and that he could trust his father's ways, that he could partner with the way of the father. And the exponential, the kabam, the exponential would come. 
Think about it. Jesus didn't just win your soul, my soul, the souls of the people that are in this place that call upon the name of Jesus. He won back the whole earth. He won back the whole solar system. He won back all of the universe. And now these days, guess what? The multiverse. The multiverse. He won it back all in totality. And I was able to speak with him and, and say to him, you have been called into the desert and the enemy is knocking at your door to offer you a counterfeit. You do not need to grab for what God is going to give you. When God brings it to you, everybody, including the leaders around you, are going to stand back and go, this is God. And it just was a powerful moment. It empowered him. It helped, it helped Pastor Eddie um, really avert a possible difficult situation in his church um, and it just was really amazing the other the other part of what happened while I was there was just encouraging Pastor Eddie we need to pray for him um, he is in a season where the, the word that I gave him is that his, it is time for him to step into increase he has lived as, as an American he has lived in a basement apartment in a compound owned by a British, a British man, an Ethiopian woman that are, they're believers, they're married, they're, they're ministers. Um, but he is, he has lived very, very frugally. And out of the money that he's raised for his own personal welfare, he funds a lot of the church. He's, he's got eight, I, I, I can't remember the exact number, but let's say eight. He's got a lot of medical students that are in medical school in Ethiopia and he's paying a number of their tuitions out of his own personal money. It, the, the, the logic behind it is his sacrifice, his mentality of sacrifice, which bless God, praise God. I mean, he sees the value because he's like, I can pay $2,000 a year or a semester, rather, two grand a semester to pay for a medical student to go to school that will transform him, his family, his family to come in the generations behind him and transform the culture of the nation. That's the heart of this man. But, I, but in the midst of it, I was saying, Eddie, you cannot continue being effective in Ethiopia and, and, unless you make a choice to step into increase. You need to increase. You need, a, you need a, a bigger place with a view. He's, he, he's driven by nature. He encounters God in nature. And yet all he sees is cement walls around the windows of his house. You know, it's a nice apartment. Don't get me wrong. It's just there's a need there inside of him that that, that, that God thing inside of him needs to be cultivated. And he needs to allow himself to step into a place of increase so that he can be more effective in bringing and establishing the gospel in that country. And so I just really want to encourage you. He's on, he's on the budget with our missions committee. We've, we, he's, he is ground well worth sowing into. He's a dear brother, and, um, and he's, he's bearing great fruit. And so I want to share that with you. Um, the other thing that happened, and this is where I'll start my message. Um, I, I met with Dr. Bazalem who I, you referenced earlier to you. And, um, you know, Dr. Bazalem is, he, he, came out of the, he came out of the Orthodox Ethiopian Church. 
He and a group of young men in their teenage years got hungry after God and started reading the scripture, and they literally had the Martin Luther revelation of saved by grace through faith. That is how the move of Emmanuel United Church began in Ethiopia. It was a group of young people gathering together, hungry after God, and the revelation by the Spirit of God of saved by grace through faith came to them. In the midst of it, the authorities and their parents found out about it, and they were literally cast into the street, persecuted. They were cut off. They were homeless. They, were, they suffered tremendously for the gospel. And in the middle of all of that, their hunger didn't wane. They began crying out. They began reading Acts, and they, started, they were gathering together, and they were crying out for the Holy Spirit. And, they, and I'm, I'm not joking. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. The testimony that's been given to me, I'm repeating back to you, is they literally had a Pentecost encounter with wind and fire that came upon them in the room. And it birthed a move of God that is still manifesting today with hundreds of churches across Ethiopia, pastors sent to the United States. Dr. Bazalem has been in this church. It's been a number of years. Um, but he travels and he speaks all across the United States. He, he, they're planning churches. They actually have, a, they have seven schools that they've started. Um, I actually talked with him about ICM and their hope centers that they need to, they already have the partnership. Let's start doing hope centers, which are bigger than churches. They, it's just, it's massive. And um, so I'm, I'm meeting with this man. He, and there's such a gentleness and a humility that is on him. He's younger than I am. He's 37 years old. I'm 45 next week. So... I know I don't look like it. I don't look like it. I look good. Hallelujah. So, but here's the deal. Here's this man that is 37 years old, and he is, he, he, I, I'm, I'm in the presence of a true apostle, you know? And I'm, and I'm wanting to give respect and honor. You know, give honor where honor is due. And I'm having this lunch, and I'm sitting there, and I mean, this thing just starts, this, fire just starts burning up inside of me and I and I just go Dr. Bazalem because we started talking about what was going on in the United States there's there's great disappointment I know in Ethiopia I'm sure in many many nations across the face of the earth they look to us as a beacon of hope in the earth and they're looking at us and they're seeing what has happened with the US Supreme Court decision to sanction gay marriage um, what is now happening with Planned Parenthood, praise God, those videos have come into the light. Uh, these are heavy things, and I'm not here to bring a heavy message. There's actually a message of hope that I want to share with you, but I'm talking with him about these things, and, and I'm hearing the... It was, it was almost as if the attitude in the people towards the leaders, the Christian leaders in the United States was, you have failed and you are responsible. And there's a measure of truth to that. And I, and I stood, you know, I'm sitting before Dr. Bazalem with Pastor Eddie, and this thing is burning in me. And I, and I said, Pastor, I said, Dr. Bazalem, I'm going to be really, really bold with you. I honor you. I respect you. I said, but I'm going to be very bold with you. I said, you are, you are a leader over hundreds, over thousands, over hundreds of pastors here and abroad in the United States. I said, I, I, I challenge you as a brother 
that you would, you would speak to the people and that you would lead them and tell them, do not give up on the United States of America. Do not stop praying for my country. Do not give up. Do not cast their finger of judgment. But they would rise up in prayer and pray for our nation. And then I... And then this thing came out of me, and I said, Dr. Bazalem, you walk in such an amazing humility, such an amazing gentleness that is on you, but yet I have seen time and time again, when you get up in the pulpit, I said, you manifest, in the, you manifest through the preaching of the word, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and the power that comes upon your words, the power of the Spirit of God that comes through the words that you speak. I've been literally in a service with him, standing on the stage, and the power of God, not just the volume, I'm talking about the anointing on the preaching of the word of God was so strong out of his mouth, it literally knocked me down. And I said to him, I said, Dr. Bazalem, I'm asking you, I'm going to be even, I'm bold with you. I'm asking that before I leave Ethiopia that you would pray for me and lay hands on me and that you would impart to me this thing. And he was like, so what are you doing Sunday morning? <laughs> and the service, our service wasn't until Sunday evening or Sunday afternoon, and Eddie says, yeah, we'll come. And so, so here we are. We're going to this service. I mean, Ethiopian worship is I, you know, those that are from Africa, I mean, in my observation, you can correct me later if I'm wrong, but there's an, as much as tribalism has been a hindrance to some of the progress that God wants to bring to continental Africa, there is an element in God where tribalism has manifested something powerful in its unity. When they come and worship together, they say, we are one tribe and they say, I don't care how I feel. My responsibility is to my God and to my tribe over me. And I will come and I will give my all in worship with my tribe to my God. And I mean, it just, the atmosphere is just crazy, crazy good. It's crazy good here too. <laughs> and... And so we're ha we get into all this worship, and I'm prepping my daughter, Hannah. Hannah's with me. I'm like, okay, look, they really, the culture's different. They highly value family. I said, most likely, you're going to be called up with me. And I said, and they're probably going to lay hands on us and pray for us. And as you saw earlier, we're going to have to bow down on the ground, and, and we're going to have to be prayed for. And I just want you to be, she's like, okay, Daddy, I'm ready. <laughs> and so I, the time comes, we get called up. And this is some of my punchline. Um, <clears throat> Dr. Bazalem is inter introducing me, and he's been to here. He ha hasn't seen me in over four years. He doesn't know what the Holy Spirit's been doing in my life, and he starts preparing the people for my introduction by telling them, I know this man, I, va I vouch for this man, the grace of God is on him and upon his children. I've been in his house, but he just has a different spirit from us. And he was talking about, you know, our more reserved American thing. <laughs> he doesn't know what's been happening at Harvest. And I'm, I'm sitting there, it's being translated. I'm just grinning, and I'm like, he doesn't know. Oh, Lord, he don't know. And so I get up.
he introduces me, Dr. Bazalem, thank you very much. I greet the people in Amharic, and then, I mean, in the, I mean, the spirit of God just comes on me. And I just go, I, and I'm going to be loud. So just turn me back a little bit if you have to. I'll turn my mic down this way. How about that? I was like, I'm here today before you as a prophet of the living God to declare to you that, yes, the United States has been in a drought and a famine. But I have heard the sound of a mighty rain coming upon my nation. And I declare to you this day that there is a cloud the size of a hand that is going to rise up over my nation. And will you be like the prophet of God? Will you bow your head between your knees? Will you join me in prayer? Will you pray for my nation? And the place, I mean, the atmosphere just... People were just like... And Dr. Bazalem was like, Wow! Come on. But all fun aside, I declare to you, look, I'm a revivalist. I admit it. I receive it. I accept it. I will not shy back from it. This is who I am. There is a sound of rain coming upon this nation. There is a cloud rising up over this nation. It doesn't matter how small it may be or how big it may be. It is the sign and the testimony of the promise of God of the end of drought and famine and the restoration of his house. Now, I've been meditating on that moment and on that passage in 1 Kings, and I've been, I've been looking at that whole passage, and, the, and, and this is what I have for Harvest Renewal Church. And I can tell by what happened at the burn the other night, although I wasn't here, I actually had, I had a dinner I had to be at. Um, but I can tell in the spirit that there's been a shift, and this is confirmation. That this, is, this is an invitation, not an admonishment. It's an invitation. But what I was getting beforehand was that we had come to a plateau. That harvest renewal had come to a plateau and the Lord was issuing an invitation. We say that there's more. We, 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 we hear more. There's more. There's more. But, but God is saying he's giving an invitation. He's got a, there's an invitation to us. You see, I was, I was sharing with in Ethiopia. I said, I said, look, that, you know, here's the deal. Jesus has purchased the way. You may perceive it, but will you pursue it? I'm going to say that again. Jesus purchased the way. He rent the veil in two. He opened up the holy place that every single person that would call upon his name could abide in the holy of holies continually. He provided a way of habitation, not just visitation. I'll say it again. He provided a way of habitation. And not just visitation. And you may perceive it, but the question, the invitation is, will you pursue it? I started looking at this passage, and it's very important. 
And I'm not going to go into all the detail. I want you to be Bereans. I want you to read. I want you to look. Go look at what the fire of God is throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. I want you to go and look about what God did in Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what God did in 1 Kings 18. There is a principle that God is speaking to me. The things that we are dealing in this age are the same spirits, the same principalities, the same false gods that were established in the day of the prophet in, in 1 Kings. Elijah was dealing with the same principalities and powers that we are dealing with today. The gods, the false gods that Jezebel brought into the church were pantheistic. Baal, whose father was Dagon, which in, you move it forward, it's the same gods of Kronos and Zeus. Zeus, Kronos was the father of Zeus and the other primary gods in their system, in their pantheon of gods. Kronos and Dagon are known for having eaten their children. Molech was another god in the pantheon. Molech was a, was a god where they sacrificed their firstborn child. There was actually, there's a picture that I saw. This is really disturbing, but I'm going to share it. They had, a, they, had a, they had a statue that had its arms out with the face of a goat. It was, it was demonic. It was Satan. It was, they, were in, they, were, they were participating in devil worship. I'm not saying that to be religious. I'm speaking the truth. And the promise of Dagon, the promise of Molech, was that if you will sacrifice your firstborn child to me by putting it in my arms into a hole in my torso, in my belly, and you will set it aflame and burn it at my altar, I will promise you prosperity on your life. The modern-day abortion movement was all began, it began as an issue of racism, number one, but it also began as a false promise that it will break the cycle of poverty in your life if you will sacrifice your firstborn child. We're dealing with the same principalities and powers that Elijah dealt with in his day. Asaraph, Molech, all of them. Temple prostitution. I don't care what you think or what you say. I'm sorry. Homosexuality is wrong. This is an issue that has touched my life personally. I am declaring to you it is a sin. It's wrong. We must not back down from the truth. God set us free by the blood of Jesus, as Pastor Doug said in, in the, in the um, not offering, communion, thank you, in the communion, that he set us free from the power of sin so that we have the right to make a choice to live under righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit through a grace that is not of our own, but a power from God that it propels us into righteousness. Every single one of those gods had temple prostitutes, and every single one of them had homosexual prostitutes. That they would engage in fertility rites and in and sexual rights, sacred rights, as worship unto a false god. I'm sorry, immorality, homosexuality, whatever perversion, or that is perversion, but, but 
whether it is heterosexual immorality or homosexual immorality, it is sacrifice unto the same God. We are dealing with the same principalities and the same powers. And I began to understand something that, I, that here's the invitation. Huh. Before the sound of rain came, before a cloud was seen on the horizon after seven times sending his assistant to go to see, to the, he waited on the promise. He waited for the manifestation. He didn't stop. He waited for the manifestation. Many of us have, were waiting for the manifestation, but there was something that came before the rain that broke the drought and the famine and that broke the hold of Jezebel and the hold of those principalities over the people of God. You see, what a principality does is it stands in the gate of heaven and prevents God's people from accessing heaven. Let me say it again. A principality stands at the gate to stand in the way of the people of God stepping in and accessing heaven. And before any of that could be broken, before Jezebel could be deposed, before Jehu could be anointed as the apostolic grace, the government of God manifested on earth as it is in heaven, before any of that could take place, before the prophecy could be fulfilled and she be cast down and eaten by dogs, the fire had to come. The fire had to come. There's something that I want to do before I talk about the fire. We've already taken communion, but I saved this. I didn't take and partake with you because I wanted to do a prophetic act. You see, we represent the city of Richmond, Virginia. We represent its constituents. We represent the families. We represent every part of our community. And one way or another, we are responsible because we are the gatekeepers. We are the ones that shift the atmosphere. We are the ones that have allowed things to come in. And so tonight what I wanted to do is I wanted to ask you to partner with me in faith as I stand and we stand together and remembering the body and the blood and confessing the sin of our city that we have worshipped at Molech, we have worshipped at Dagon, we have worshipped at Asaref, we have worshipped at all these false gods. And at the end of the day, it was all, all of that is for self. All of it was for self. And so, Father, I stand here tonight with my brothers and sisters in this act to, to plead the blood of Jesus over our city. Father, we see that, Lord, that, that these things have come. They've even come into your church, God, that abortion has come into your church, God. The sacrifice unto Moloch has come into your own house. God, the Asaraph pole and temple worship using sexual rights, God, and immorality and homosexuality has come into your church, God. And God, we say we, we repent. We're sorry, God. We say not just for the acts, but God, for the thing that came in the heart that led us in unbelief. God, we plead the blood. We plead the blood over your church. Let judgment begin in the house of God. God, we thank you, God, for the blood of Jesus that, that, that is shed for the remission of our sin. 
And we take, we take responsibility over this city and we plead the blood over this city. The body of Jesus was broken for this city. The blood of Jesus was shed for this city and we declare these sins and we call them sin and we say, Father, we take responsibility. We bring it into the court and we confess and we say we're guilty. But Jesus, you're our advocate and you stand on our right side and I thank you, Jesus. I hear your words, Daddy. I paid for that. I paid for it all. So we appropriate what you paid for, Jesus, by the body. That was broken for us. It was broken for many. We take this body on behalf of this city and we say, God, forgive us. And we appropriate the blood covenant. We plead the blood over the gates of this city. We plead the blood over the capital. We plead the blood over every institution. We plead the blood over every highway and byway that leads in and out of this city. And I declare the, the greatest sacrifice that, Lord, you gave the blood of your firstborn child in exchange for this city. And I declare that the blood of your firstborn is greater. It speaks louder than the blood of any other sacrifice. And I declare that blood over this city in the mighty name. Thank you, Lord. All of that's really heavy stuff, but I've got news for you. Good news. Powerful news. That as it was in the days of Elijah, so it is today. And that though the people of God were lost, though the house of God was cold, though there was a drought and a famine, God brought fire back into his house. And the invitation tonight is he's looking for a people who will carry the fire. Ah, surely. There's an invitation to fire. And I want to tell you some things about fire that I've been seeing. And I haven't gotten the full revelation yet. I've been stewing on this and seeing part of it. And I know there's more. But I'm going to give you what I have tonight. I said something about sacrifice. The thing about us making these sacrifices to these false gods is the truth is, is that God is for you and not against you. Say, God is for me and not against me. So when God executed judgment, a decision, a judgment is neither good nor bad. A judgment is a decision. When God executes a judgment, he does it on your behalf. The problem ensues is when we love that thing more than our God who is for us and not against us. And then we feel like the judgment of God has come against us because we love the, the idolatry more than we love the God that we're supposed to worship anyway. And that thing comes and he, rent, he severs that thing off of our life and we feel like he's crushing us, that he's harming us, that he's hurting us because we have our affection set on something that's less than. Fire purifies. Ah, ha, ha, ho. Shoo. Did you all feel that? Huh. 
<laughs> hey, fire purifies. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were caught up in a system that was so powerful, it was so big, they had no control over their own lives. They literally lost their masculinity. They were emasculated. They were made eunuchs in order to conform to the system that they were put in. They were sub subject to a king who was unrighteous and then to a system that was unrighteous. And yet they chose to obey God out of their love for God. Not out of duty or obligation, but out of a revelation of his nature and the truth of who he is. For they loved God. And out of their love, they chose to obey. And the consequence of their disobedience to the king was he went irate. He went on a rage. Fire up that furnace seven times hotter. I am pissed. And even the attendants that were given to put them into the furnace, they died because the furnace was so hot and intense. And yet the scripture tells us that as they fell into the furnace, the king turns to one of his counselors and says, did we not just put in three? But how come it is that I see a fourth man that looks like the son of God walking amongst them and they are free of their bonds? You see, the thing about fire is you may be under a system and a government that's unrighteous, but when the fire of God comes, and I'm not talking about the fire of the furnace, I'm talking about the fire of the one that looks like the Son of Man. The fire that came upon Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration, where his face shone like the sun. His robes were bright like lightning. That is brighter than any other fire I have ever seen. You can go to a blast furnace at a steel mill, and the, the brightness of lightning and the brightness of the sun is still brighter than that. The fire of God came in the midst of the fire they were put in, and he set them free. The fire of God will set you free from your oppression under the unrighteous government that you're under. And I'm not talking about a physical government. I'm talking about the governmental realm of the spirit that has been oppressing you. You will go into the fire and the son of God himself will come and stand with you. And he will break your bonds. The other thing about the fire that is, whoo, <laughs> the other thing about the fire is in the days where Baal was being worshipped and the prophets were being extolled and Jezebel was in power and uh, we all know the story. It's interesting that when the fire came, the people of God returned. And God is looking for a people in this city that will carry the fire so that those that are outside, not the people that are lost, the people that say that they are found but are lost, the unbelieving believers, that the fire would come upon the church in Richmond, that they would go, wow, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And they would cast down their idolatrous worship. They would return to the Lord and the living God, and they would follow him. You see, the fire is the beginning of the transformation of society. 
What we are facing is far is so much bigger than what we can accomplish on our own. As Rifle, Pastor Rifle said, if we do not have Holy Spirit, we might as well pack up and go home. The other thing that I'm remembering about fire in the New Testament is obviously Pentecost. I think about Peter denying Jesus three times. His brashness, his boldness to a fault cutting off the ear of the servant, even in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, I mean, I mean, he, he rejected Jesus three times. I mean, think about the mercy of God. Here's a guy that rejected Jesus before he goes to the cross three times, and God restores him. How, how lavish is his mercy? How lavish is his grace? Come on. And Peter even though Jesus has resurrected, he's seen him, they are still afraid of the authorities. They are still hiding. They are closed up in the upper room, but they have the doors closed, the windows closed. They are in hiding. And yet the fire of the Holy Spirit, Jesus comes to baptize with the Holy Spirit in power and fire. And what happens to Peter? Oh, my goodness. A, a, in an instant, a transformation from a man who had bravado to a man who had godly boldness. A man who had rejected Jesus and was weak in the knees and felt himself disqualified to a man who became the man that Jesus Christ built his church upon. The fire of God will transform how you see yourself. And it will put on you a boldness like you've never seen before. And it will launch you into destiny. The fire of God will launch you into destiny. Come on, the fire of God will launch you into destiny. I want to encourage you. We don't need to be afraid of the fire. His name is Holy Spirit. His name is Comforter. His name is Teacher. His name is the spirit of truth. Come on. Ah. Ah. Little rabbit trail. Here's a tidbit for you, and this is my opinion. Okay? I qualified it. It's my opinion. The scripture doesn't say a tongue of fire, which is what most artist renditions say about the fire of the Holy Spirit that came upon the, it says tongues of fire. Go back to Isaiah 11 and the spirits of God, the seven spirits of God, which is also represented in the lampstand in Revelation, which I just read before I got up here. The, the lampstand, the seven candles blazing in, in the presence of God. It's called the seven spirits of God. I believe that when the Holy Spirit came in fire and power, that the seven spirits of God came represented as a crown of flames, of seven flames upon the head of each of the, of the people in the upper room. It's the same spirit. You can't disqualify yourself. Wisdom, understanding, might, power, fear of the Lord. I'm missing two. You figure them out. He wants to baptize us with fire. We know from Acts that Pentecost was not a one-time event. Stop playing with my hand. Pentecost is not a one-time event. 
We're to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. But what I am here to tell you tonight is that there's a restoration of the fire of God coming back to the church in America. And Harvest Renewal Church, I charge you, Pastor Doug, as father in this house, and the elders, I charge you, God is giving you an invitation to host the fire in this place. You're no longer at a plateau. You're in a valley of decision. Wow. You're no longer in a plateau. You have now entered a valley of decision. And I know this house, and I know my friends, I know the leaders, and I know the bent of this house. And it is not to say no. So my confidence is really high. But I want to I charge you, the invitation has been laid here today for you. You may perceive it, but the question is, is will you pursue it? And so I'm going to give you a chance to pursue. Anybody that wants a, a, the fire of God to come upon you, not just in a visitation, but to come in a habitation upon you, just come up front right now. I'm going to ask, can I have some of the prayer team up here, please? Ben, if you can turn me up a little bit. Um, I need some of the prayer team up here because I really believe there's some of you that need to... Well, the Lord is knocking at the door of your heart. And there's some things that you need to let go of. There's some things that you need to confess. There's some things that you need to change your mind about. You need to come forward and you need to do that. So where are the prayer ministers? Raise your hands. If you need prayer for repentance, this is not about feeling guilty about actions that you've done. This is about getting to the root of the things that are in your heart and having a heart transformation. And that can only come by Holy Spirit. So if you need to repent tonight, come forward and get that done. You can do it privately. It doesn't have to be, I mean, just other than someone knows you're being prayed for, okay? All right. We just um, we just wait on you for a moment. Ah. the baptizer you 
are the baptizer. Walk in the room. We worship you, God. We worship you, God. As it was in the days of Elijah, so it is today. We're crying out, Father, for the fire. The fire. The fire. Come, Holy Spirit.
Oh, 